Welcome to Talking Jazz. Our topic today is Sounds of Indiana. This is my volume three and I'm planning to make many more volumes of Sounds of Indiana because there's so much history, like every space has their special history and it needs to be more well known. There's just not enough space in any cabinets and radio shows and whatever else history classes to distribute all these great music so i'll put some snapshots of history together because it's amazing and it should be heard in this episode of sounds of indiana i'm gonna move back to Indiana Avenue, the heydays of Indiana Avenue, some of the iconic artists from that era. Of course, you know, it's because I did the book on David Baker, I have a special affinity for David's history. I'll start with a piece of his that he recorded on one of the iconic George Russell albums. And it is important to know that David Baker ended up in George Russell's group through the Lennox summer camps. And Gunter Schuller was the one who found the potential on Indiana Avenue. He wrote an article about Indiana Avenue Renaissance and the great artists that he heard when he visited and provided them with a scholarship to go to the Lennox Summer School. And this was one of the very first summer school types for jazz, where the greatest jazz musicians would come together and share and provide information. David Baker and his buddies, including Larry Ridley, they went and David ended up in George Russell's teaching combos asked so many questions because George Russell was just revealing his theory on the Lydian chromatic concept and it was such a eye-opening new way of teaching of actually analyzing what's going on in the music in terms of musical theory and concepts and so he kept asking George Russell's question and question and question and finally George said okay I realize that you are really curious about this do you want to play in my band and be part of the rehearsal band and experience the music so that's how David and his whole pretty much Indianapolis group ended up with George Russell and ended up touring and recording several albums for Riverside Records and it was absolutely a glorious time for them touring playing across all the other jazz greats in New York across Thelonious Monk and everybody else the one I'm gonna play is called Honesty and it is a David Baker composition it's one of those blues that is rooted in the blues has all the characteristics of the blues but always with an extra twist and George Russell really wanted David to contribute specifically these types of twisted blues to his repertoire so this was recorded on the album Aesthetics and Aesthetics featured actually also trumpeter Don Ellis, of course George Russell on piano, and Eric Dolphy on alto saxophone, and Steve Swallow on bass, 
and fellow Indianapolis drummer Joe Hunt. It has to be noted, so this was released in 1961 on Riverside, that it was one of the last albums that David was able to play trombone on because shortly thereafter, the aftermath of his earlier accident in 1953, where he had broken his jawbone themselves, known too much he had all these tremors and started to have more and more operations and eventually realized he would not be able to play anymore so this is one of the last recordings that he was able to do and he was also voted best young artist in 1962 in downbeat magazine just when he realized that he probably would never play the trombone again here is honesty a David Baker composition as recorded on the album Aesthetics 1961 for Riverside Records led by George Russell with Horn Keepings as producer.
was Honesty, a David Baker composition as recorded on the album Aesthetics with George Russell recording, released in 1961 on Riverside Records. And it's probably one of the most iconic jazz recordings there is. It was 
just as at the trajectory of bebop, moving into modern sounds. So there's a lot of ideas and ingredients of avant-garde jazz without departing from the traditions yet at that time. I want to go ahead and play actually a recording of David Baker's idol J.J. Johnson and J.J. Johnson also grew up on Indiana Avenue, also went to Crispus Attucks High School, was just a few years ahead of David Baker and somebody that he very much looked up to. And of course, not only David Baker, any trombonist is probably still trying to emulate the artistry of J.J. Johnson and the facility he had on the trombone playing bebop. The trombone is not easy instrument to play fast eighth note melodies on because you have to move the slide and you have to move that slide to the exact right position to not be out of tune and it's very physical and it's very hard to get to that position in time without being out <laughs> out of tune. So JJ was absolutely a master of tonguing and playing virtuos on, on this hard instrument of the trombone. And he was often collaborating with another trombonist who came very close to his artistry, which was Kai Winding. They really got into the trombonism. So this recording is actually, it's called J.J. Johnson and Kai Winding from J. So this is J and K plus six, meaning they actually added six more trombones. So you have eight trombones playing at the same time, two bass trombones and, and six of the regular trombones, which was J.J. Johnson, Kai Winding, Irby Green, Bob Alexander, Eddie Bird, Jimmy Cleveland, Tom Mitchell, and Bard Barcelona on bass trombone. And then the rhythm section is Hank Jones and Milt Hinton. Um, actually, on the recording we can play, it's Ray Brown on bass and Ozzy Johnson on drums and Candido Camara and we're going to do a night in Tunisia as arranged for eight trombones with the super artistry of JJ Johnson and Kai Winding.
that was the Dizzy Gillespie composition "A Night in Tunisia," as performed by J.J. Johnson and Kai Winding, plus six eight trombones and rhythm section. And as I mentioned, J.J. was one of the first artists to uh, break out of the Indiana Avenue group of the Crispus Attucks high school that where the teachers believed in their kids and did everything to show the public what their kids could do. Another artist coming from that same community, of course, is Wes Montgomery. Even though he did not go to Crispus Attucks High School, he grew up in the community and had the benefit of performing in the numerous clubs up and down the avenue. It was a thriving scene. And several years ago, Mosaic Records put out this retrospect, or they found unreleased recordings of Wes Montgomery, which were done at many of these clubs. They were not able to identify all the spaces and places, but most of the players. So on this one, this is, we're going to actually listen to a Horace Silver composition called Nika's Dream. The album is called Echoes of Indiana Avenue, and it features Wes Montgomery, then of course his brothers, um, Buddy Montgomery and Monk Montgomery. And then we also have uh, Melvin Ryan on this one on piano and organ. The great Mingo Jones on bass. I got to play with Mingo quite a bit. An absolute gentleman and fantastic bass player. Um, drummers Sonny Johnson and Paul Parker are featured here. You know, many more from this Indiana Avenue legacy were Errol Grandy, Carl Perkins, Buddy Montgomery. So those are some of the pianists. Um, Wes Montgomery, of course, Leroy Vinegar, Flip Stewart, Monk Montgomery, bassist Sonny Johnson, Fox Walker, Willis Kirk, some of the drummers, uh, Benny Barth, Jimmy Coe, Pookie Johnson, George Savoy, Charlie Cox, Buddy Parker, Slide and Maceo Hampton, some of the horn players, and then the young teenagers, Freddie Hubbard, Jimmy Spaulding, Larry Ridley, and Paul Parker and Walt Miller, and we'll hear some more of them. But the clubs that Vess played often and probably are the most likely where these were recorded were uh, the Missile Room, of course, where he was discovered, Sunset Terrace, Cotton Club, Henry's, George's Bar. Just imagine yourself going back into this thriving scene. There's music oozing out of the clubs. It's going on until the wee hours in the morning, lots of experimentation, hanging out, exchanging ideas. So this is uh, Nika's Dream from the album Echoes of Indiana Avenue, a mosaic release.
Nika's Dream as recorded on the album Echoes of Indiana Avenue, or I should say, rediscovered lost tracks from the heyday of Indiana Avenue recorded in some of the famous clubs of, of the time. And it featured the Montgomery Brothers and a beautiful solo by Melvin Bryan. Of course, if we talk about Indiana Avenue, we have to include Freddie Hubbard, who, as I mentioned, was a few years younger than David Baker and, of course, J.J. Johnson. And David often mentioned that um, Freddie took lessons with him, was mentored by some some of the elders of Indiana Avenue, and then, of course, um, left and really made a mark as one of the foremost heart bop trumpet players and also visionaries. We're going to hear a recording called Super Blue. This is one of his prominent albums. It's a 1978 album and it was released on the Columbia label. It actually peaked on number six on the Billboard charts. It features um, Hubert Loss also on flutes, of course Freddie Hubbard on trumpet, um, Joe Henderson is on tenor sax, Ron Carter on the bass, Jack DeJohnette on drums, and Kenny Barron on keyboards. And it has recently been rediscovered. Kurt Elling made a recording of, of Super Blue, and it's fantastic. Enjoy this really groovy piece. I, it's one of my favorite pieces to also play. As I said, 1978 recording, Super Blue.
That was Super Blue by Freddie Hubbard from his 1978 album Super Blue, one of the iconic jazz releases. And of course, we're talking about Indiana Avenue and the legacy of Indiana Avenue and Freddie Hubbard being one of the musicians who changed the landscape of jazz once he branched out but found his roots and his education playing in the clubs of Indiana Avenue, studying with the great musicians. And one of them, of course, was David Baker. So I want to share one more recording of David Baker. And David, as I mentioned earlier, after his George Russell or his work with George Russell, had to realize that he wouldn't be able to play trombone anymore because of an accident, a car accident in the 50s that injured his jaw bones and eventually caused him uh, tremors and not being able to sustain the pressures of playing a brass instrument like a trombone. So he focused on education and composition and ended up leading the Indiana University Jazz Program for 50 years. And during this time wrote a wealth of music. One of his tasks was to bring together these different fractions. He had to work in a very conservative conservatory and bring together traditionalists who did not believe in the value of jazz and he did that by writing music for them by writing sophisticated music that convinced them of of the depth of this music of of the value of this music and when he passed away in 2016 the Buscelli Wallerup Orchestra put together a collection of his big band recordings. It was actually the second one, basically Baker Volume 2, the big band music of David Baker. With some wonderful musicians that played with David for a long time, others that came in to add their artistry. I'm going to play Soft Summer Rain. Soft Summer Rain um, is a, it's a lyrical piece, but eventually starts swinging very sophisticated harmonies and it actually features uh, Rich Perry on saxophone and then Bane Wallace on trombone. There is so much more in this album and it can be found on all the great streaming services. Look for basically Baker. There's a volume one and two. Um, this is on Patois Records released in 2016. The Buscelli Wallerup Jazz Orchestra.
That was Soft Summer Rain, a selection from Basically Baker Volume 2, a 2016 release on Patois Record featuring the Buscelli Wallerup Jazz Orchestra. And we talked quite a bit about David Baker, then of course one of his students, Freddie Hubbard, some of his peers, Wes Montgomery, and then his idol, J.J. Johnson. I want to focus on two more here from the Indiana Avenue time, some of uh, David Baker's peers at the time, one being Larry Ridley, a bassist who ended up being one of the most in-demand bassists in the 50s and 60s, and then uh, starting the Rutgers University Jazz Program, also a dedicated educator. He still lives in New York. Fellow trombonist Slide Hampton, who also moved to New York. Larry was a sideman in one of Slide Hampton's recording, one of Slide Hampton's the octet recording. This one also features um, Charles Greenlee on trombone, Jim Williams and Hubert Dodson on trumpet, George Coleman on the tenor sax, Jay Cameron and Pete LaRocca and of course Larry Ridley. And it's called Something Sanctified. And it's a very fun swinging tune and it does exemplify kind of the style that came out of Indiana Avenue, this post heart bop heart swinging style. And of course Slide Hampton was the youngest of the Hampton family, 13 kids of a traveling family that uh, traveled as a novelty band through the South when the kids were really young and they all learned to play several instruments. We're gonna hear for our very last selection a little bit more about this family. This being a very special recording that brings two of those icons of Indiana Avenue together with Sly Tanton as the leader and trombonist and Larry Ridley on bass. Um, this is called Something Sanctified, released in 1960 on Atlantic Records.
That was something sanctified, recording by the Slidehampton Octet, featuring, of course, Slidehampton, but also Larry Ridley on bass, and both of them being growing up on Indiana Avenue and being part of this Indiana Avenue jazz legacy that I'm featuring today. And I'm actually planning on doing several more shows on that because this is an endless treasure hunt and it really, really needs to be known more. So I'm going to close out with this recording of On the Road with the Hampton Sisters read by David Baker, a poem by Norbert Kropf, and featuring myself on piano, Frank Smith on bass, Kenny Phelps on drums. This is recorded on Imagine Indiana in Music and Words. And thank you for sharing this hour with me of Sounds of Indiana, Volume 3, and many, many, many more to come. Enjoy. Duke, Lucky, Loxley Wellington, better known as Slide, Maceo, Buge, Don, and Carmelita, and of course, Virtue, Anna Litra, the Hampton family, a family that was so loved in Indianapolis, family that provided work for a lot of musicians. They treated everybody as though they were part of their family. Virtue is too frail to slap the bass. And so she stays seated and beats time on her thighs until Elytra takes off west to get her kicks on Route 66. And so Virtue, who cannot be left behind, stands up to the mic and sings along and the Hampton sisters are on the road again, as they were with the family 70 years ago. A time when towns closed to them at dusk. And restaurants and hotels would not open. But they persisted and they endured. And now they're singing for us all, black, brown, white, yellow, red, and they know the lay of this land and the topography of the heart and the geography of the soul. Thank you for listening to Talking Jazz today. My theme was Sounds of Indiana, Volume 3, featuring the great Indiana legacy. You can hear Talking Jazz every Thursday at 11 a.m. and Mondays at 7 p.m. on WETF 105.7 in South Bend, Indiana, or online at jazzradiowetf.org, and Fridays at 8 p.m. on WICR 88.7 Indianapolis. 
previous shows are also on my YouTube channel, Monica Hersig, M-O-N-I-K-A-H-E-R-Z-I-G. Please subscribe to the Talking Jazz playlist. Thank you for listening. <laughs>